Because the more we begin to look like Him, the more He can enter into us and fulfill His plan through this church. So thankful that God is doing a stirring in us. Thank you, worship team, for your sincerity, band, for your desire to worship the Lord. Thank you for your dedication. We've got to pray for Beverly. Beverly's got some things going in her world, some decisions to make, and we want to make sure we're praying for her. I want to pray for Jack Smeltzer. Uh, he's in the hospital. Last night it didn't look very good, but uh, through prayer and believing, they took a turn for the better. And by God's grace, he will be put into a room uh, out of ICU today. And we just want to con continue praying and believing for him. How many know God is a way maker? Amen. He is a miracle worker. And we want to believe that that is exactly who he is and what he's going to do in the lives of those who are in need. If you have a specific prayer request, would you just raise your hand right where you are? How many know that God is able? But I believe that not only is God able, but God is willing. How many know that? Can you just believe right now? Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Believe with me right now. Father... I am so thankful, God, that you are a, a miracle worker. God, that you are a way maker. Lord, when we don't understand, when we don't have the capacity to grasp how high and how deep is the love of God, Lord, that you demonstrate yourself in such unique ways that you show up when we don't even grasp the awesomeness of who you are and you minister and you touch and you serve and you heal, you bring life and hope. And I pray that, that every hand that was raised in this room for whatever request that is, Lord, that you will show up this morning. And Lord, that you will demonstrate your love to them. That they will experience the hand of God touching them today. We thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place. We thank you, God, that, there, that the stage has been set by the prayers of your people. And Lord, the eyes are open to see what you want to do, God. The ears are open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is to say to the church. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. One more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Wow. Beautiful. After church, ladies, if those of you who have decided to go on the um, women's conference, if you will see Miss Kim, she wants to meet with you right afterwards. You know, we're, we're, we're a church full of champions, you know what? Some of us. 
I went up to Dollywood a few weeks ago and rode on the eagle, right? And you get out at the bottom of the eagle and it has a sign or shirt that says, Eagle or chicken. <laughs> but I believe we are a church full of eagles. Amen. So thankful. We have one state champion. Um, Maryville Little League All-Star Softball. Miss Maddie Morton. Come on, Miss Maddie. Show us. Come here right fast. This girl right here, she's a champion. Isn't that awesome? Congratulations, sweetheart. Good deal. That is exciting. That's exciting. Now we've got some more champions, right? You know, not tomorrow, but next, the next Monday on the 29th, Kim and I, well, let me just put it, she will have put up with me for 24 years of marriage. Yeah. We were at a, um, we were at a uh, family reunion this past week. If, you, if I look a little more portly, that's because I ate a whole lot. Uh, but we had a great time. But there was one of her uh, cousins, you know, uh, I guess her mother's cousins, was standing beside me. He says, there's this, there's this little girl who keeps walking in and out. I said, I don't know who she is. And, uh, and I said, well, what's she look like? And he said, well, she was standing beside you a few moments ago. I'm thinking, well, he knows everybody here. I mean, he's the historian of the whole group. He's got to know everybody. So I'm looking around, find, trying to find who doesn't fit. And all of a sudden, Kim comes w- w- walking in the far door. He says, yeah, that's that little girl right there. I'm like, that's the little girl? I said, that's Kim. That's my wife. I said, I've done a really good job. I told him he needed glasses. No, I'm just kidding. We married for better or for worse. Amen. I couldn't do better and she couldn't do worse. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) We were 18 and 22 when we got married. You can figure out which one was which. And uh, it has been a beautiful journey. And we have had to learn a lot. Um, Being so young, getting married. Kim married right after her freshman year of college. And she finished college. And so we had a lot to learn in those younger uh, years, just trying to figure out, God, what is your plan? What are you doing in our lives? And, and, and there, there comes a time when we have to realize that we don't know everything. How many, know, how many have got teenagers in your home? They know everything. And we had to get to that place in our life where we realized that we don't know everything. And thank God for moms and dads who are gracious that we can call and say, hey, dude, what's up? <laughs> All that stuff you've been telling me, I needed to know. (laughs) And now I need a review. (laughs) Right. Sometimes you have to break down before you can break through, right? Sometimes you have to have that little moment of, oh God, what's happening now? And, and, And finally, when we get to that place, then God is able to do something in us. Amen? Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Sometimes the greatest Revelation is when God leads us to a place that, and says to you, you think you understand this, but you have got it wrong. Let me break it down and build it back so that it will endure the test of time. 
And that's not always an easy place for us to be, but is a place where God shows up. Now, I, I feel like sometimes that we live a fairytale life. I mean, I feel like I am truly blessed with the greatest wife in the world. Amen. And I feel like I have the four most awesome kids that anybody could ever have, and they are awesome. And I'm blessed. And I may not really be living the fairytale life, but I am truly living the blessed life. A life that is fully uh, walking in the favor of God and the grace of God. But in the same tone, not everybody lives there. Not everybody's there. Not everybody's there in their job place. Not everybody's there in your home life. Not everybody's there with your kids. And, and, and I get that. And, and I don't stand here to pretend that I have, have everything all together, that I have all the answers because I know that the moment that I think I've got it together is the moment that I have lost it all. Because I only... Walk by the grace and love of God. He is the one that leads me and guides me. And, and, and usually, and, and, okay, all the time when I mess up is that's not God. That's just me not following God. But thank God for His grace. But what I have found out in our relationship is that there's one relationship that is greater than every relationship, and that is our relationship with God. How many believe that? Because without the Lord, where would we be, right? It is the most important relationship that we can have. I mean, even when uh, counseling young couples in their relationship with each other, you know, I always draw this, this uh, triangle, and I put God at the top, and I put husband and wife on, uh, on both sides, and I said, the, the closer you get to God is the closer you will be to each other, and when you are in unity with the presence and power of God in your family, then you will be the closest that you will ever be to each other. Amen? How many believe that? How many agree with that this morning? Amen. 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 In, in, in that relationship and knowing that we walk by God's grace, it has brought peace to our home, it has brought uh, love in our family, and and. So many times there are husbands and wives that are looking for the opportunity just to get away for a, a few moments or apart from their spouse, but there's a love and genuineness when you find that peace and grace of God together that, that there's only want, all you want to do is, I want to spend more time with her. It becomes awesome. It becomes romantic. It becomes glorious, peaceful. Y'all got, y'all got quiet on that. Brother Blue, they just need to hear that a little more, don't they? Amen. And so, when we have that relationship with God, it helps us to put in perspective the value of the other person. When we have that relationship with God, out of that relationship with God flows all other relationships, and we need to have a proper relationship with God Himself. Amen. Amen. And what's intriguing to me is that in every case... The Bible only records Satan speaking three times, and, and, and that is in Genesis chapter 3, Job chapter 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 14. And in every one of those cases that, that the enemy speaks, it is all in the attack of relationship with God. You can look at Genesis chapter 3. He spoke into the garden and brought enmity in a relationship between Adam and Eve and God. In Job chapter 1 and 2, he is entering into the throne room of God, trying to attack the relationship with, 
with God and Job. In Luke chapter 14, it is him once again trying to uh, bring destruction in the relationship between the Father and the Son, between Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father. So let me let you understand that every time the enemy shows up, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to tear your relationship with God apart because he knows if he can tear that relationship apart, it will destroy every other relationship that you have. Truth. And so when we, last week we talked about the non-negotiables of, of relationship and, and, and we understand that in relationships we have, uh, the, we have to learn to compromise in all good relationships but there are some things that you cannot compromise. There are some things that have to be non-negotiable, right? And, and so this morning when I'm thinking about that, even from a friend of mine uh, who, who I was listening to and talking to this past week, he reminded me that there are some non-negotiables that God has. And the number one is love. Because when you, if you are going to be a people who follow God, you have to be a people who love. Because God is love. It's non-negotiable. You can't pick and choose who you're going to love. You can't just say, well, I'm going to love them, but them, not so much. It's, it's non-negotiable. It's it's a requ uh, requirement to walk in the favor and love of God is to love other people. Non-negotiable. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Wow, there is no other commandment greater than these. So the basis is love God and love people. Turn to somebody and say, you've got to love God and love people. So that other person on the other side didn't get it. You turn to them and say, you've got to love God and love people. You know, the reason that Jesus can declare these two commandments is because uh, it is a summarization of the Ten Commandments. Because when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments is all about how we love God. The, the last six is all about how we love people. So, in essence, when God was giving these Ten Commandments, He was telling us how we are to establish relationships, how we are to walk in a relationship, loving God and loving people. Thank you, Jesus, for your great grace for us. So when I look at that, how do we, or how are we to love God? Well, we see that with all of our mind, soul, you know, strength, you know, we, we, heart. We, we understand that, but, but I want to bring you to a different passage of Scripture because I know that this conjure, uh, conjures up all kinds of philosophies that puts into our mind all kinds of different theologies. Well, how are you to love God? Well, let me just uh, break that down to you for a second because in uh, 1 John chapter 4, 19, it says, we love because God first loved us. Wow, thank you, God. We love because God first loved us loved us. God's saying, I'm not going to ask you to do what I have not willing to show you how to do. Aren't you glad? He showed us how to love. God tells us our love is, is for him should 
Our love for him should flow out of an understanding, out of a comprehension of how much he loves us. With all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, he has loved us even to the point that he has given us the greatest gift of all to show us his love. Thank God for that love that he has shown us. So we learn that our ability to love others will come from our understanding of how much God loves us. How are we instructed to love other people? Verse 31 of chapter 12 of Mark says, You should love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that poses some ideas, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, the key thing is that that you should love them. The the love you have for your neighbor should uh, be equivalent to the same love that you would show yourself. Now, there comes an issue that not many people are willing to face, and, and that is that a, there's a whole lot of people who don't love themselves. There's a whole lot of people who don't know how to appropriately show love to themselves. How many agree with that? How many understand that? Yeah. So the standard is loving your neighbor as yourself, and, and, and so if somebody doesn't love themselves, then they don't know how to effectively love other people. I don't know for whatever reason, maybe it's because of a low self-worth or a a low view of themselves. It becomes a challenge for them to love others because they don't see themselves very highly. They don't see themselves as being something of worth or something of value. And it's like you can't give away something that you are desperately needing. Come on, somebody. If you're desperately needing love, it's hard to give that love away because you need somebody to come in and love you and care about you and uh, show that same support to you. So so it's important for us to embrace the love of God, the the love that God has for us. Hey guys, I'm making it easy for y'all today, right? If y'all have watched our live feed, hello those who are watching live feed. That little camera, <laughs> back and forth thing. I'm going to stand a little bit more still. Maybe. <laughs> so, when we understand how much God values us and how much God loves us, we have a greater capacity of loving other people because we recognize the great love that God has for us. How much does God love you? I mean... In the last five, six weeks, you've heard me quote this three times because it is the anchor text of all Scripture, and that is this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. How much does God love you? He loves you this much. He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only, for you. That's how much He loves you. Another passage says it this way, No greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus Christ voluntarily, willingly laid down His life so that you could experience His great love for you. Aren't you? you glad God loves you? Would you just give God praise in this house? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. The fact is, is there's so many people that declares uh, that I'm not worthy. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm not worthy. And, and, and they feel like that, that love is for somebody else. Well, they're worthy. Uh, and, and he or she's worthy, but 
I don't feel like I'm worthy. I look in the mirror and I see my past. I look in my closet and I see the skeletons that, that I've drug out. I, I, I look in my heart and I see the stinking thinking that I have. I am unworthy. And so many people walk through life feeling like they're unworthy. It's not for me. That salvation thing is for everybody else because they're good enough and I'm not. But to you this morning, I declare that the Apostle Paul had a word that you need to hear, and that is in Romans chapter 5 and 8, when he says that even while you were still in sin, Christ died for you. Even when you were looking in the mirror at your past, even when you're digging out the skeletons of your old man, even when you look in your heart and you see the stinking thinking, it is that moment that Jesus Christ said, even while you were still in sin, Christ died for you. That's how much he loves you amen amen we need to hear what Peter said in 2nd Peter chapter 3 and 9 the last part he says the Lord is patient with you turn to somebody and say the Lord is patient he's more patient than my spouse oh no I'm gonna say that the Lord is patient with us not wishing that any should perish but all come to repentance God's not looking for a reason to cast you away he's not we uh, looking for a reason to throw you in outer darkness he is looking for the opportunity to show you how much he loves you that's why you can follow John chapter 3 16 with John chapter 3 17 for he did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved Jesus loves you that much he wants you to have life he wants you to have hope he wants you to experience his love amen amen you know the reason that we struggle to show love to others or the reason that we struggle to actually receive God's love is 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 a word called insecurity you know I was perusing a, a book by Brad Lumenick entitled h3 leadership be humble stay hungry always hustle and in his book he, he, he displayed these values of, of people who were highly successful or most successful people. But what intrigued me was the, the book defines humility in a different perspective than I'd ever thought about because it defines humility as this. The, hop, the opposite of humility is insecurity. Now, in my thought process and what I've already always said is that the opposite of humility is pride. So when he said that the opposite of humility is insecurity, I, I thought, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what he's saying. However, when you, when you think about it and look a little deeper, the one that is least likely to give love to another person is one who is insecure regarding their view of God's love. When, we, when you really come to become secure in how much God loves you, it opens your eyes up to a deeper level of humility. It's kind of like Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. God brought him there for a purpose, but he recognized how great God was, and it brought him to a place of humility because he declared, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And so when we come to a greater place of humility, we also can, in that place of humility, declare Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, that God has a plan for my life. And we can declare, I know the thoughts that he thinks toward me, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper, bless. Uh, thoughts to give me a future and a hope, not of wickedness, not of casting away, not of tearing down. But God has a future and a hope for me. Amen? 
Do somebody like this and say, God's got a future and a hope for you. Three of them up here said it. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, when we understand that, we have that deep sense of knowing who he is, that no matter, even when the enemy comes and tries to knock us down, even when the enemy comes and tries to stir us up, we can declare, wait a minute, God has a plan for me. So no matter what you do, enemy, I know what God's plans is. Even enemy, I know that you're trying to tear me down, but thank God I love you too because that just shows me that God has a plan for me and I can declare with you that God's plan is a plan to prosper me and there is no weapon formed against me that shall prosper and I can declare that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can declare that though the enemy has meant it for harm, God has meant it for my good. I can know that God is with me. Amen. Amen. I mean, we just sometimes we just need to stop and praise God because of the great love that, that, he, that he reaches down is way further than the love that we can reach up. And God's love is sufficient for every one of us. Amen. Amen. There's security in knowing that when I don't have the wisdom to know what to do, that he says, ask of me and I will give you wisdom. There's security in knowing that when the mountain seems so big and I don't know how I'm going to overcome it, he says, if I'll just believe in him, that he can tell the mountain to get out of my way. Come on, somebody. There's a security in knowing that, that the weapons that I might think are big in my hands, if I'll just trust him, are greater weapons in the hands of God to destroy the enemy. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. You somebody just needs to declare over yourself right now, He loves me. I love the song, Jesus Loves Me, because it, it might be so childlike. It might be so simplistic. But just to know that I know that I know that Jesus loves me, Bonnie. I remember when you used to have a, a crowd of kids and you would sing that song, Jesus loves me. This I know. Because there's a foundation to it. For the Bible tells me so. Come on, somebody. When you know the, the non-negotiable truth that stands on the very word of God, that Jesus loves me, it gives us a greater capacity to love other people. Amen. Not going to tell that story. Ah, Jesus. God has given everyone, every one of us a reason to love ourselves because we can see how much he loves us. And when we understand how much he loves us, it gives us a greater capacity to love other people. And, and, and so when we think about that, we have to ask the question, why is it so hard to love other people? I will say this first, broken people will do broken things. So don't expect broken people to be perfect all the time. And let me say this, we're all broken. And we're all in need of Jesus. And we're only as well and whole as Jesus is complete in our life. Amen? So when we think about, that, that's not even on the outline. Y'all can put, chalk that up for free. The reason that the enemy fights us so hard, they struggle so much, is because... I believe God has intended for us to experience this presence in community. We are meant for community. We're meant to be together. 
I mean, Matthew chapter 20, 21, it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst. I'm there. I'm right there with them. And what Jesus is basically saying is that there are things that you can experience in yourself, by yourself, but there are other things that I have in store for you that can only be experienced in community. And God wants us to be a community. Amen. But God tells us that, that, that when that relationship of ours in community, that He wants to bring us not only into community, but even bring us beyond community to the point of family. Thank God for family. I, I, I sang a song um, Saturday, yesterday morning. I said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain Cleansed by His blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Awesome! You guys sound great. Josh, sign them up. We got choir singers and come on. Amen. But Jesus... Not only wants us to be community, but wants us to be family. In fact, Jesus went as far as to redefine family. We see that in Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. It says, Then his mother and his brothers arrived standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. And, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Looking, <laughs> looking about those who were sitting around him. He said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For, you, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus is saying, first and foremost, God desires us to experience his presence in community. And the devil doesn't like us to have community. He doesn't like us to experience the presence of God. So he comes in to destroy our community, destroy our family. But beyond that, God does not plan on being loose with our casual community, but he wants us to become a family, a family of God. He wants us to find brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the confines of the body of Christ because let me tell you something, the Spirit of God is more real than any kind of blood connection that we really have. We, when we become the body of Christ, we become brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to one another and we are built together. No wonder the enemy attacks families so hard. If there's an ever an hour and a time where we need the body of Christ to truly be the family of God, it is in this day, in this hour, when there is so many families who are dysfunctional, so many parents who are obsolete or absentee, and people and children and other people are looking for somebody to cling to that will be a, an establishment, to be a family that they can hold on to. And let me tell you something, we are the family of God. You are welcome here. We will be your brother. We will be your sister. We'll be the one who call, that you can call on in the middle of the night because we are here for you. Amen. 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 But not only does he desire us to be a community and even closer, closer knit, he desires us to be a family. But even closer than that, he declares that we are the body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 12 where he declares us the body of Christ. We might have multiple gifts. We might have all different kinds of personalities, but we are of one body. Isn't that awesome? 
So in other words, when, when, we, when the enemy tries to cause us to stir up against one another, it, it's like a cancer because it can be a part of the same body, but those cells aren't functioning the way they should, then it becomes cancerous. How many know the enemy wants to bring a cancer into the body of Christ? But when we are closely knit together, doing and operating as a part of the body of Christ, we were walking as, an, as the body of Christ, his hands extended, his feet going in that direction, his voice speaking life into a world who needs Jesus. We become the body of Christ, lifting up him, ambassadors for his kingdom. And that's why the enemy doesn't like it. Right? I mean, think about it. I mean, when you look at the divorce rate amongst the world and the body of Christ today, it is absolutely the same. Why? Because the, the enemy knows if he can twist this old thing up and he can get you to, to not like and to bring destruction in your own home, that it brings destruction in local congregations and local families. But we are the body of Christ. We need to cast down and and break the curse in Jesus' name. We need to know that we can trust in an almighty God who will be with us that can break that curse. In my generation, in my family, from, from great-grandmother, grandmother, parents, my biological brothers, brothers, uncles and aunts, they're all divorced and remarried. I'm the only one of my blood family who has not been divorced and remarried. But let me tell you, it's by the grace of God. Because from the moment I began praying for that wife, God, break the curse. God, break the curse. And I pray that as we see the curse broken, that not only is it broken off of my family, it's broken off of my children. It's broken off of my grandchildren. It's broken off of my great-grandchildren because I believe that we can break the generational curses if we will truly trust in an almighty God and be in a relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. Come on, musicians. I, I got... I, I'm Play something soft so I can... There's another factor... And, and, and I'll be somewhat quick. <laughs> so I didn't promise quick, just somewhat quick. Betsy, is that all right? Good. Forgiveness. I know that's, like a, that's almost like a four-letter word. Forgiveness. We've talked about the non-negotiables of God, the love of God. Well, this is a non-negotiable. Forgiveness. If we're going to thrive in relationship with God then you will have to, have to choose to be a person of forgiveness. It's non-negotiable. There's no parenthetical statement here, clause, because you can't just put out on the side and say, well, uh, he did this. You can't put in parentheses, well, she did that. You can't put in parentheses, well, you don't know the rest of the story. No, it's non-negotiable. I mean, when you think about it, Matthew chapter 6 and 14 even to the clause that, that we says, if you want to be forgiven, you've got to forgive. And what God is saying, if I can get it through you, then I can get it to you. He says, if, if I can get you to learn to give it, then I can help you get it. And God wants us to be people of forgiveness. And I, 
I know that's hard because forgiveness is defined as this. To cease to feel resentment against someone. Why, God? It reminds me of when one of the disciples says, Lord, increase our faith. And to understand why he said increase our faith is because Jesus just told him that he's got to forgive 70 times 7. God, are you sure? Not even the law requires that. And you're requiring me to do what? Forgiveness. And so therefore, if we feel any resentment in any form, shape, or fashion towards someone then we need to say, God, help me forgive. And, and the great thing is, is in Matthew chapter 18 and 15, he gives us a, a model because he says, go to the person individually. And if they don't accept it, then, then, then bring a friend with you. This is the PDV version, right? The Paul Dyer version. And then he says, if that don't work, take them before the church. And the fact is, is that according to 70 times 7, then you've got to do that process a bunch of times. Because it's not negotiable. God wants you to forgive just as he has forgiven you. Aren't you glad God forgives you? Yes. Yes. And just as God has forgiven us, he wants us to forgive others. The fact is, is that in our social media age, we don't confront each other face-to-face -face anymore. We, we, we vomit it out on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else you use. And we call them every name in the book other than their real name. And we make it worse. Amen, old me, and oh, pastor, did you have to go there? And, and then there's other times where we actually go with the idea, I'm going to make this right. And we go and then, boom, with the wrong attitude, and all of a sudden, boom, we blow up, and it just didn't work. How many of you ever had that? No, don't raise your hand. Have you ever had that problem before? I really meant to make up. Ugh. Yeah, it happens. But even at the point that we've tried everything that we could, we've tried to communicate, and we get caught in this vicious cycle, how are we going to get this right? And we've done everything we can, God still says it's non-negotiable. And you say, well, pastor, how in the world can I get it right when I just seem to always mess it up? And, and, and when, you, when you've done all that you can do, it's to that place where you finally have to get to the point to say, let go and let God. Let go. And let God. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus is hanging from the cross. He's being executed. He's being crucified. And this is what he says. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Wow. At that moment, Jesus is showing us an example. I mean, it sure looked like they knew what they were doing. When Jesus needed his disciples the most, they look over to Peter and says, What not you with him? And he's like, No, 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 I don't even know the guy. What are you 
you talking about? It can't be me. Well, you sure look like the loud mouth. No, it's not me. Don't know him. It sure looked like Peter knew what he was doing when he was denying Christ. It sure looked like Judas knew what he was doing when he walked into the garden and said, Boy, it sure is dark out here. Look, guys, I'm going to identify him with a kiss. Some of you have been betrayed by a kiss. And it hurts even more when it's intimate. But the fact is, it sure looked like Judas knew what he was doing when he walked into the garden and he kissed Jesus on the cheek and betrayed him. The Roman soldiers were trained And they literally could beat him, beat their people to, to the point of death without killing them. So they could feel every stripe, every excruciating whip that hit their back, they felt. It sure looked like they knew what they were doing as they beat him to a pulp. And yet, in all of that, as they sit there and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, as the people yelled, Hail, King of the Jews! As they literally took the time to woe, to weave a crown of thorns to put on his head, he looks out at them with blood running down his face. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what I don't know your story. I don't know if there's an issue in your life of unforgiveness. I don't know if there's resentment hindering a relationship. I don't know if, if there's something in you that wants to vindicate something from the past. But I do know this. That the same God who wants to forgive you can help you forgive others. He can walk you through. I mean, the fact is, is that you've heard me talk about, you've heard me talk about how I ran from God. You've heard me talk about in six weeks how the Lord, in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, in the middle of a service, came down and absolutely wrecked my world and turned it upside down which was right side up and I woke up three pews back underneath the pew speaking in a heavenly language you know those things but what you don't know is that as a child I became the object of a perverse person that messed my world up and the reason that for so long I I was angry and bitter because I didn't know how to handle the feelings and the emotions that were down inside of me. And though my parents were, they were jewels, the best parents that anybody could have, youth pastors even at, at, in, my, in certain seasons of my life. They loved me so much and tried to do everything they could, but they couldn't understand why this teenage boy was so angry. 
why he was so mad, why he was punching holes in the walls and slamming things off of the dresser when he would get angry, it's because I didn't know how to handle the emotions. See, I don't know your story, but I know the feeling of what it's like going to bed at night wanting to find vindication for what somebody had did for me in the past. And at some point, I had to come to a place where I parked the car on the side of the road and said, God, I can't do this any longer. I can't feel this any longer. It has held me back from the plan of God. It has, it has kept me from the ministry that you've called me to for too long. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you struggled with. I don't know the pain that you have felt or the person that has hurt you. But I can tell you this. I know what it's like when a little girl, young lady, walks into my office with her mother and she, say, she begins to testify of being physically abused by someone and and she's tore up with not knowing how to handle those emotions. And I can look across the desk with hope in my eyes and say, I understand. I can, I can, I can get it. And I can lead her from being a victim to a victor. And when she walks out of the room and I hear her footsteps going down the, down the hallway, I can raise my hands and say, thank you, God, that I went through that because I have just led somebody from being a victor to a victor. My mess has now become a message. I don't have to be defined by the past any longer, but what you have allowed me to do is to touch somebody else. When we get to the place where we can pull our vehicle of life over and realize that God will meet us in the middle of our mess, He will help us from being victim to victor. And when we finally say, God, forgive them, because broken people do broken things. And if they were whole, that would not have happened. But because they're broken, God, I forgive them. And Lord, forgive me. And let me tell you something. The person that gets the freedom is not necessarily the other person. But we get the freedom when we let go and let God have His way. Father, this morning, you're a God of love. You're a God of forgiveness. And Lord, if we, as David said, search me, O God. Lord, if we was to declare this morning, search us, O God. If there's something that's hindering us, God, from being able to be a part of the vision and mission of of the kingdom of God I asked this morning would you forgive us Lord would you help us to be surrendered to you will you allow us the the strength to be able to lay it at the altar today this morning if you'd say pastor there's some things that I've been holding on to for a long time 
And though I can lift my hands and worship, I know there's something buried deep inside that I have, I have learned to cope with, but I've not been healed from. And I need today God to bring healing complete in my life. If you'd say that this morning, would you just raise your hand? Today, I believe that God is going to bring freedom in your life. If you raise your hand, I'm not doing this to embarrass anyone. I'm doing this because I want us as the family to pray for you. Would you just make your way to this altar? And what I want you to do, if you see somebody making their way down to this altar, I want you to join them. I want you to come and stand behind them. As an encouragement, as someone to say, I identify, I want to pray with you. Yes. Yes. Amen. 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 Come on. Can I have some others to come and just stand behind these right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you join me right now in prayer for these right now? 